Welcome back to the Injury Prone Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Edwin Porras, Dr. Physical Therapy, Medical Analyst at FantasyPoints.com. Gracias por tus oídos once again. Today we have a very Fantasy Point friendly guest with us. He is Wes Huber. He is on Twitter. Wes, I don't even have your uh, your Twitter account pulled up here. He is just at Wes Huber NFL on Twitter. Very creative of him. He is Fantasy Point Senior Analyst. He is the 2020 FSWA DFS Writer of the Year finalist. He used to be at PFF. Now he is at Fantasy Points. He's a big DFS Debbie and Dino guy. He is one of the hardest working grinders I have ever met. And that is not that is not um, a Homer statement. I've admired a lot of Wes's work, mainly from the weekend where he uh, helped me win a chunk of change talking about, I don't know if you remember this, Wes, this was, I think maybe the first week that Scott had mentioned your work. You talked about Tom Brady and how he, how he, he picks apart. What was it? Cover two defenses or something like that. I don't know. Cover Moral three. story. Welcome to the show. Tell, tell us that story. What was it that you wrote about when it comes, comes to Tom Brady? What was that? Cover three. Uh, you want to see, you want to see a mixture of cover one and cover three. And that's, those are the games you just want to, you want to throw some money on Tom Brady. If, if you got some cover four, cover six. Now later in the year, he, he solved that issue, but over his career, he's not been as good. So yeah, cover one and cover three mix. is what you want to look for. Yeah, you made me some ch- a chunk of change. I've been a big fan since then. We brought you on full time. I say we. I'm 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 just a, I'm just here. I'm just a guy. Just uh, a but guy. you are full time full time at Fantasy Points now. Uh, and this is your first. Is this your first time? Your first full time gig as an analyst? Uh, not as an analyst. I was full time at PFF for better part of a decade. But uh, my first time. Okay, I'm sorry. I didn't realize you were analyst. Okay. Yeah. Right. 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 Okay. So, well, let's talk about that real quick because I think your story is very intriguing. Can you walk us through where, how you got to PFF, what led to that, your path over the last 10 years, like you said, you were at PFF for a while, uh, and how you got to where you are today? Because I think your story is really interesting. Well, you know, um, just like um, every other, uh, you know, American kid, I grew up and I played a little high school football, but, you know, I had my eyes in the stands looking at girls, trying to impress them more than I was worried about the actual game. I, I also, I played baseball, so I, that's where I, where I really put my, my passion, tore my UCL. Um, yeah, I'm not saying I had a college career ahead of me, but, yeah, I was going to try. But, uh, yeah, so uh, uh, to make a long story short, I, you know, did a few other things, but I ended up at PFF. Uh, I was drawn to them because I, I used some of their stuff for my fantasy work. And so I always wanted to write fantasy and I always wanted to do it at PFF. But so to get that though, I had to take a, you know, a slight detour. They made me actually learn more about the game of football. And I was one of the original, I think 12 grading analysts, full-time grading analysts at PFF. Um, and, you know, I, I was you know, taught by some of the best, some of the, some guys that uh, coach in the NFL today and, you know, it was a, it was an experience that I was forced into because I just wanted to to you know get to that fantasy stuff, and they just said, you know, we're going to need you to know more about football, <laughs> and so I did write fantasy for him for a couple of years it, it, under Mike Clay when he was there, but uh, they liked my work as a as an actual analyst so much that they wouldn't allow me to to do the fantasy thing. So I ended up becoming the director of special teams analysis. And I did that for, I think, four years. 
which was odd because I've never been a special teams guy. No, no hate, but it just isn't, you know, it's not a fantasy thing. So I finally, you know, I made the decision. I said, I told my wife, I just, you know, this is, this isn't bringing me closer to where I want to be. So I put in my notice and I got in contact with Scott. I had another career lined up getting back to my college degree, but I really didn't want to go into it. I really wanted to get into fantasy work. Um, you know, Scott, he, he gave me the chance and I guess they liked my work and, and here I am. Yeah, man. I think that you took a really interesting path learning more about their actual game. So you're coming from a perspective of this is how the actual game happens. And I think it gives you a better grasp of truly understanding what does this mean for fantasy football purposes, which I, which is super cool. Um, I enjoy a lot of your analysis and the way that you look at things and the lens that you provide it because you really are different in that sense. I think a lot of football fans are our fantasy analysts like I'm a football fan but I mean I don't know I, when I'm looking at the single screen you know the tv version of the of, of the film I don't notice small things I don't look at things I don't look at the coverages like I in recent years I've started to shy away from the typical fan thing where I only watch where the ball's going like I do try to watch a little bit more of the defense but I don't know I don't know what I'm looking at so it's nice to have people like you on staff who understand what's going on and who understand a little bit about what the game actually entails, which gives you a really good perspective, I think, on what is going on in a fantasy and from the fantasy perspective. And you do a great job of breaking down all of these um, all of these players that we have so far at FantasyPoints.com. Uh, you you've talked about Najee Harris, Travis Etienne. Uh, Trey Sermon, Javante Williams, Jamar Chase. We have all these guys logged up on the docket, so I won't. I'm just going to get out of your way. I'm just going to bring up a name, and I want you to go where the wind takes you, Wes, because you are the expert. Tell me, when I say when I say the two words, Najee Harris, what do you say? Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty excited about Najee Harris. Um, you know, he, to be just to take a step back and look at the running back group that we have, it's a truly special group. And it's got some depth too. It's not just top heavy. And it, okay, so you look at Najee Harris, and I remember in a Devi league, one of my buddies, he was he was just trying to give away Najee Harris after his junior season. I ended up snagging Michael Pittman off of him for um oh shoot, the Carolina Panthers guy that went to the Colts and 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 opted out. I can't the wide receiver, I can't remember his name. Uh, Devin Funches. So when I got uh, Michael Pittman from him, but I didn't, I didn't go after Najee, Najee Harris, I, which is something that that eats me up to today. Um, and you know, and I think, I think looking back though, he was, he wasn't quite at the level that he's at today. And and Nick Saban, he'll say it himself: the the Najee Harris for, for after the 2019 season to the Najee Harris today is not the same player. He it, it was like it was like the light went on for him. He's always had the athletic gifts, but he didn't he didn't actually understand uh, how to actually attack a defense until this past season. And man, if you played college DFS, then you know the type of player Najee Harris was. He was the kind of guy that if you didn't play him you were below the cash line. I don't care if it was turning or cash. You didn't cash out without him. He was that good, that dominant, and it didn't matter who he was playing. Now, yeah, later in the year he played he played against Notre Dame, didn't do as well, although the hurdle was was quite nice. He he made it look good, but you know, we're we're talking about playing playing like the number 1 and the number 2 defense, rushing defense between Notre Dame and Ohio State. 
Okay, so but let, let's look at let's look at some of the details uh, that that Harris brings. So one of the things you think a guy that's two six foot two, two hundred and thirty pounds, you're thinking, oh, he's north south. Actually, he's more of an east west type running back. He's not a he's not a downhill type guy. He likes to attack on outside zone, which is a little different. It's not a gap scheme. It's not something where he 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 knows as soon as he gets the ball where he's going to run the ball. He has to make he has to make split second decisions, and he's got to he's got to decide what gap he's going to attack. So you need you need really good vision, especially in the SEC, in order to excel in that, that type of offense. So that's something that he he does better, in my opinion, than any other running back in this class. If you look in the NFL, which I, I kind of make it a rule about Alabama running backs, is I never comp them to other Alabama running backs because they're always the you know the five star former five star guys. They're always the bigger running backs. So it, it just it's a lazy comp, in my opinion. But it's a if, good comp. Yeah, I mean, if if you look at like, okay, who's the easiest comp for Najee? I mean, it's obviously Derrick Henry. They're both outside zone guys. They're both huge. They're both athletic specimens. Um, and you know, I I don't know what Najee's going to run at his pro day, but I guarantee it's not going to be as fast as as Etienne. But don't even don't even give that a second thought. You don't need forty yard sprints to be a dominant running back. Where um, is he going to land? And what, I guess let me put it this way: What place are you absolutely? you know, chomping at the bit to get Najee Harris, depending on where he lands. If he goes to the Falcons, if he goes to the Falcons, he'll be in competition with Chase. Well, Pitts, I should say. Used to have it Chase, then Pitts. Now I have it Pitts, then Chase, then Najee. But if he goes to the Falcons with Arthur Smith as the head coach, you better watch out. Uh, That will be the knock on Najee Harris. The what would you say is, the, yeah, the biggest, the biggest takeaway that you don't like about his game or uh, him in general? Uh, probably his age. Uh, he'll be 23 the date of the draft. So you're not going to get a, you know, a guy that, uh, you know, we, who knows? He, he could turn out to be Frank Gore and, and play in, until he's 35. <laughs> um, but, you know, we, we, the issue with running the running back position in Dino is, is, or Debbie is, is, you know, we want to, we want to, uh, have that player for as long as possible. Give our team the, mo- the the most chances to 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 bring home the prize. And I guess the age. And uh, you know there was a slight issue. He almost left Alabama. He almost transferred after his sophomore year, which I thought would would have been just ridiculously stupid. Um, it, because you know it doesn't matter. You, you just need one year at Alabama to to make your mark. Uh, it, you know you don't. It's it's like Trey Sermon for me. He he didn't have to play for Ohio State for four years. One year is all you need. Because the, the the amount of attention that you get at those programs is enough to to you know get drafted highly in the NFL. So I guess his age, he'll be twenty three, um, and you know I mean, but looking at him in, next to Henry, he's a better receiver. So you know he's he, in my opinion he's he's the the absolute surest thing for a three down potential in this class. When I say Travis Etienne, Wes Huber says what? Inside zone. This guy eats it up. You think this guy. Uh, he's only five ten, two hundred, or yeah, five foot ten, two hundred ten pounds. You think he's, you know, somebody that that needs to attack on the outside? Not so fast. This guy is lethal between the tackles. Now, why is he lethal between the tackles? Because he's so freaking fast. His size to speed ratio is ridiculous. I mean, he's in the upper ninety percentile. Um, so what he does is he actually doesn't really he he does attack to the inside but what he's looking for and this is something that 
that you'll not find anywhere else in this class. As soon as before he's even touching the ball, he's already looking at the defense, and you can see it if you watch his film. He's already looking and he's spotting every defender on the defense. Something you don't see from a guy like Ramondre Stevenson, somebody I love, but just not the same level. He's already making a mental note of where everybody is on the field. And what he does, as soon as he gets that ball, so he's looking for his inside his inside gaps. It's not a gap scheme. He's looking, making a decision of where he's going to go. If his edge on either side, if it starts to if it starts to cheat, starts to splash down to the inside, he jumps to the outside and he's gone. This is something you just don't see in the class. He also does it as a receiver. Before he catches the ball, watch him. Watch his eyes. Something you don't see from other running backs. He's looking at the defense. He's not looking at the ball. He's not worried about whether he's going to catch the ball. He's not worried about the moves he's going to make after he catches the ball. He's looking at the defense, and he's setting up his lanes. He's looking at where he's going to attack. Then at the last second, he looks back, snaps the ball out of the air, and he's gone. This guy is the best receiver in the class. He's the best with inside zone. And what what concept does the NFL run the most? Inside zone. So he's going to fit with more NFL teams than any other running back in this class. And another thing, watch out on draw plays. He is he is the best by far on 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 draw runs, which you know draws your your edges as if you're going to pass. And there's a slight delay from the quarterback before he hands off. Man, Etienne was on was just phenomenal on those plays. So let's move to let's move to a player that you really like. A player that you did a, a full write up on, which was excellent, by the way, over at fantasypoints.com. You really like this guy. Talk to me about Trey Sermon. Yeah, and I, I had you go over the article, make sure I I got my medical stuff right because there's a lot of it, you know. Um, but you know, I think, I think it, it just as, as you stated in your, your thread on Twitter, I, I don't think there's a long-term issue to his, to, to the reasons that he missed time. Um, I, I, I think that, that if you look at his, the ACL he tore at Oklahoma, it was a situation where he was hit high and low at the same time. And, uh, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a doctor, so I'm sure you can chime in. I don't see that as, as something that a lot of people are going to escape that that was an injury that, that had nothing to do with him. And then what happened to him on the on the first carry in the championship game this past year, man, broke my heart. By the way, I, I wanted to see a good football game, and man, right. that that was just devastating. Because looking at the Ohio State offense with him, uh, Justin Fields was playing so much better with him than without, and and man, it just wasn't the same. I still think Alabama wins that game with Sermon, but anyway, um, so you know he he obviously hurt his shoulder really bad, but I, I was a little I, I am a little concerned with with how badly he wants to stay on the field, but that's neither here nor there. This is a guy that that is he he offers three down potential, and I know that it's not as it's not a widely held opinion because I, I talked to Scott. Usually, I try to avoid outside. Uh, influences with these with these uh, player reviews, but Scott uh, Scott Barrett did tell me that you know not as many people are as high on him, but I, I'm kind of surprised by it because he's got the size, six foot, two hundred thirteen pounds. He's got the receiving ability. Of course, he didn't get as much um, opportunity at Oklahoma because I mean they were ju- they're just so stacked at running back. I love the way Lincoln Riley recruits there. By the way, um, they just get so many guys to the point where they've just got to rotate them. You know, and uh, it's no knock on any one of them. They're all future NFL players. But 
you know, Sermon, he wanted, he wanted more of a significant role, went to Ohio State. Of course, Master Teague is there, who's a, an athletic specimen, somebody who is going to, plus he knew the system better. Um, the thing about the the switch though was when he was at out when he was at Oklahoma they would run counter at the highest rate of any team in the country. Counters where you have two backside pullers coming in front of you. You've got to have some patience. Let them, let these two hundred seventy five plus pound guys get in front of you, and then you attack your gap after they set their blocks. Well, when he went to Ohio State, they don't do those. They don't do count. He got two counter handoffs all the, the entire season. So um, he had to adjust and that took some time. So some people may look at, Oh, well, you know, he wasn't even the starter. Well, I'm not worried about that. And it took some time to, to get used to going inside, outside and, and man blocking that the, that's not the, the easiest adjustment, but another guy, this, he's not quite at Najee Harris's level. He doesn't have the, the size, um, but he, he's lethal out uh, attacking outside the tackles. Sixty uh, percent of his of his career yardage came after first contact. So, uh, and if you Say look that again, at, say that again, Wes. Yeah, sixty percent of of Trey Sermon's yardage came after first contact That's over over his career, not just at Ohio State. Um, and what he did to Northwestern, they were top twenty when they came into that game into the Big Ten championship. They left outside the top seventy. And, and run defense. Uh, and one they face one guy, just ridiculous. So he's also equally affecting effective attacking uh, attacking on the inside, and he had to be going to the Ohio State system. They do a lot of inside zone, but um, I t- to me, okay. And the one thing I've, I've yet to mention though, he is the best blocking back in this class, and it's not even close. He blocked for Baker Mayfield. Jalen Hurts, well, you know, half a season, uh, Kyler Murray, and Justin Fields. So four years, four NFL starting quarterbacks, future for Fields. Sermon let his quarterback be touched twice. Wow. He's a phenomenal. Teams love that. Oh, he will he will not come off the field at the NFL level. But you know he may he may have to uh, bide his time for a little bit if there's already a starter. But I, I just have no doubt in my mind he's going to be a three down running back, and we all know what kind of value that brings. He and the thing about the I'll back up and touch a little bit on the injuries. Uh, I in the thread that I posted, which would have been oh gosh I don't even know at this point when I did that thread, but I I was mistaken. So I would apologize to you, Wes, and anybody who looked at that thread. There were reports that Trey Sermon tore his ACL. What actually happened is he tore his LCL. And now that might not sound very different, but it makes a huge difference because it's an intra-articular inside the joint injury, ACL, versus an outside the joint injury, the LCL. The LCL is not inside the joint, meaning there's less of a chance or a likelihood that he'll have arthritic changes inside the knee because he didn't actually have damage inside of the knee. Damage inside of the knee in the future can lead to uh, a shorter career. It can lead to Todd Gurley syndrome, yeah. but that is not what's going on with Trey Sermon. Uh, he had an LCL tear, and I've, I've since then, I've needed to go back and make that correction, so I'm glad you mentioned it. But yeah, there that was a really, NCAA injuries are very tricky to report on and to read about so there were conflicting reports but i did confirm that it was an lcl injury so i don't know maybe that vaults him even further up the ranks but tell me how he compares to a guy like javante williams well you know and and then the other injury he had was the the fractured vertebrae where if i found the play that where where it took place and if in i used the way they described the play 
um, to find it. He fell on top. He was, he was jump. It was a phenomenal catch, jumped up back shoulder, go jumped up, made the catch. Uh, he was lined up out wide, um, at Sprayberry and he fell down and the cornerback was underneath of him and he landed on his helmet. So I think the way I originally wrote it up was, a was, uh, something that would be considered something more chronic, but uh, but the way you said it, likely more acute. We don't really know for sure. And you're right. I mean, they they keep this medical information so close to the vest that we really don't know. I didn't even know it was an ACL until I saw your thread. And I, that's great to hear that it's not a situation similar to, to God, Todd Gurley. Now, with Javante Williams, it is such an odd story because he grew up, uh, he played flag football where he, when he got his start. And uh, uh, he loved to tackle and he would piss off the families of the other kids because he'd be out there tackling uh, in flag football. And, they, you know, they're they're just uh, drawing an uproar. So, you know, he obviously loved to tackle. He And, and so it, his place was on defense. He played linebacker his entire life and he loved it. But, you know, he's only five foot 10, 220 pounds, very few guys that size, you know, Zach Thomas that, yeah, but you need, you need, I mean, just absolutely phenomenal athletic measurements in order to do it at that size in the NFL. And he doesn't have that, you know, he's, he's not the kind of guy that's going to burn down the field with a, a ridiculous, you know, 90 percentile 40, but uh, he got to, he got to his senior, his junior year. And, uh, he, he didn't have any FBS offers. Um, okay. He did have, um, I think he did have a, a, a group of five offer. I'm, I'm not a hundred percent sure, but it was, it, he was lacking. He wasn't going to do that though. He, because he had an offer to, I think somewhere in the Ivy league, I think it was Yale because he, he was valid valedictorian of his, of his high school. So, um, this guy had like a 4.6 GPA. I mean, just as smart as they come. And uh, so he was just going to give up football. He's like, well, you know, if I can't play in the ACC, he grew up in North Carolina, then I don't want to play football. And uh, he didn't realize that in the championship game um, of his uh, of his the last game he played for Wallace Rose, um, that that uh, uh, the former head coach at at, at North Carolina, I, his name is um, shoot, can't, drawing a blank here, but anyway. He was in the state. Come on, Wes. You guys spit it out. You haven't been giving us any information so far. There's no. <laughs> there's obviously no information in your brain. Yeah, yeah. So he, he, yeah. His so his coach. He didn't know the North Carolina head coach was there, which is the the team he grew up watching with his dad. You know, and and he was offered. He he ran for 207 yards, three touchdowns, won the state title, and 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 he he offered him after the game. So you know he's going to play for his his loved Tar Heels. And, um, you know, he gets there. He looks at the running back room. They've got uh, Antonio Williams, who transferred over from Ohio State, a uh, young Michael Carter, uh, still you know, a year older than him. He knew he knew right away that he wasn't going to be able to just take the football and run. He was going to have to actually learn about the, fo- the game of football. He was going to have to learn how to block, learn how to catch, do things he had never done in high school. And he just wasn't, he just wasn't at that, at that level yet. But you know what? Uh, he's the kind of guy who, who understood that, uh, you know, he keeps, a, he kept like, keeps like a, a chip on his shoulder. He knows that, uh, you know, he can never, you know, rest on his laurels. And so, and that's one of the things I love about him, the passion that he has. He, he's always looking to improve, 
always looking to get better. And that's what we see during his career, which the, the career arc for Javante is very similar at UNC as it was at Wallace Rose. Of course, he played linebacker his first two seasons, but his last two seasons, the way he developed um, is very similar. And that's what we saw this past year from Javante when he scored 22 total touchdowns. And the, the thing about him is, is it, I love Trey Sermon. Trey Sermon is my, is my number one guy with counter blocking with the two pullers. Javante Williams is not far behind, but he's also at the same time, he is the best with one puller when he's, when he, when he only has to wait for one guy to get in front of him, one of those backside blockers to get in front of him, just absolutely lethal. And, and the, the other thing that we, you know, one of the, the other things we want to look at with, with future three down potential is goal line situations. We want him to be the goal line back. Well, he scored 20 of 28 of his career, uh, 28 career touchdowns from in goal to goal situations. So I think we can count on him as a future NFL goal line back. Of these four running backs, what's going to have the most long-term of these four running backs? Who's going to have the most long-term success? Harris, Etienne, Sermon, or Williams? Pick yeah, one. it's so Pick tough. West. It's so <laughs> tough. I think, I think because of the, the age, Najee coming in at 23, I think we can cross him off. I, I, you know, we may get 10 years out of him, but you know, the, the numbers tell us that it'll be less. Well, probably less, probably around seven, maybe eight years. Uh, and you know, same with Sermon. I think he'll be 22. I think long-term it's probably Javante because he'll be, let's see what, uh, he'll be 21 by the date of the draft. And that's a big difference in, in fantasy football. He'll have two full years. If he can – the, the only thing, his, his blocking is developing. Uh, it was better this year, and his receiving was better this year. And I do like how he translates his skill set as a receiver, which is very rare. But only, only four guys, and these are the four, that I feel will be able to offer immediate three-down potential. I think it's Javante long-term. So great stuff on the running backs, Wes. Let's move on to wide receiver. Now, I think we can safely say Jamar Chase is the guy, right, at wide receiver? The guy. The, the guy. guy. Devonta Smith, how far back is he? How, how far behind? You know, I, I've not uh, – okay, so I've watched, I've watched all the Alabama games. I watch all the Ohio State games. I even watch the North Carolina. If, if, there's, if there's three or four offensive skill position guys that, that play the majority of snaps, I watch all their games during the season. So I did watch all the Alabama games. Uh, I have not researched Jalen Waddle just because every time I, I get ready to, to go back and fill in the gaps on these top guys, I, a Scott or somebody else will say, hey, I want to profile on this guy. I want to see, you know, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and so I don't I have not done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I've not done Bateman. I've not done Michael Carter. I've not done Jalen Waddle. But I did get Devontae Smith out of the way. Um you know, I think the big issue with him is is the metrics, the, the history of me- metrics tell us the BMI is an issue. Um, I, he's And he didn't measure, he didn't weigh himself at the Senior Bowl, and that, I was very disappointed with that. For me, the, the, you, you just, you, you do these things to, re- to remove all doubt. And, you know, if there's going to be a question, then let the question be. It's kind of like you go to, in, into your pro day and you don't run the 40. Uh, to me, you make every... Every opportunity count. And you 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 do every measurement. You don't hold anything back because it's a red flag. If it's a red flag for this, you know, fantasy analyst, it's obviously a red flag for the NFL. Um, and and Devontae, I mean, he. I don't think he's going to be able to get away with that at his, at his pro day. 
But if he weighs anywhere close to the 61175, there are going to be some questions. Um, but I think he has I think he has some potential in the slot. And and that's where I think his future is going to be. Uh, the the slot's not considered uh, as as valuable as 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 you know being lined up on the sidelines. So we'll see. Um, you know, his 40 time, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he cuts uh, you know, a, a tenth of a second off of that uh, that time he produced at, uh, prior to college, but you know, you can't knock his, what he did. You know, I've heard, I, I have heard, um, you know, when I'm, when I get on Twitter and I'm, I'm reading my emails, I'll, I'll see my timeline for just a second. And I saw, I saw one headline that said um, something like Jalen Waddle is behind in development compared to Devonte Smith. Well, no, duh. Jalen Waddle just missed last year. Right. I mean, obviously Devonte Smith is going to be ahead of him. Plus, you know he's a year older, so I mean these are these are things you, that that people throw around. You don't you don't want to get get too clouded by it. But from what I saw in watching Alabama the past couple of years, Jalen Waddle's the guy there. Devontae Smith was behind him uh, two years ago, and um, and it, I mean he was the guy, and even early in the season he was the guy. And I think that that goes a little bit further. I'm a little I'm a little more impressed by Jalen Waddle than I am Devontae Smith, but I still have Smith as my wide receiver three. So let's talk about a guy that you mentioned uh, a little bit ago. You you're a big Tylen Wallace fan, I think, but I think I was surprised to hear St. Brown was as high as he was in your ranking. So t- talk to me about St. Brown. Well, okay. So after you get after Chase and Waddle, who I think I think have every opportunity to play on the outside. We get into some uh, some slot guys. Like I said, I haven't done Bateman yet, and you know I prefer not to to go too too in depth on guys. Um, you know when I don't when I don't have that film uh, breakdown. You know in the in my past, and so but with with St. Brown, so with Smith, St. Brown, Tony Wallace, Elijah Moore, these are all the next guys that I've done. They're all slot guys. All right, now Devonte Smith, if he plays in the slot, he'll be the top slot in this class. St. Brown is number two for me. I like Tony. I do, but we'll get to that. St. Brown, um, he went to, he went to USC. If you didn't know his father, John Brown was a bodybuilder, two time Mr. Universe, three time Mr. World back in the eighties. Um, I was, I was shocked. What an interesting fact you said you just brought up. Yeah. (laughs) That's so interesting to me. Oh, absolutely. He was, uh, his father was, was a big deal back in the day. Um, and, 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 you know, after his career was over, he devoted all of his time to, to his kids who I love the names he gave them, by the way, uh, Equinemius and Osiris and right, Amon right. Ra. I love them. But, uh, yeah, man, um, his, his father devoted everything into his kids. And I find it so funny that one of the knocks on Amon Ra coming out of high school was that he wasn't strong enough. His functional strength wasn't there man if you look at at his video from 2020 look at him after he scores a touch touchdown and he just and he flexes up dude is um i mean he he's only 6'1 195 but i promise you he is under five percent body fat this guy is ripped so his functional strength it's like his papa is not a concern i'll just tell you that okay but uh he's easily easily the top skinny post slot in this class. You cannot defend this guy. When you try to play a cover four, cover two, cover four, cover six, where, where you have two um, deep safeties, right? It's going to leave that middle of the defense open because those safeties are going to be worried about their halves 
Um, you know, obviously some variations to that with the different coverages, but to generalize, they're going to be worried about a, a wider set and the, the seam right down the middle is going to be a little vulnerable. That's why they call it middle of the field open. When he has that, you can't defend him. He is unguardable. That is something you don't say about a lot of people, you know, and uh, uh, he's not the biggest, not the fastest. He doesn't have the most explosion, but he's pretty, pretty freaking close. I'm looking forward to his pro day. He posted a 38, 38 inch vertical back at his pre-college um, combine at the opening, the Nike opening, best footwork, the best midair adjustments, the sharpest routes and the top functional strength in the 21 class period. So then let's, let's hit reset for a second. We went through running back. We went through wide receiver. You mentioned uh, Najee Etienne, Sermon, Williams, briefly Chase and Smith. Uh, and then we talked about St. Brown. Now let's hit reset. Can you tell us your rankings from top to bottom of these skill guys that you have them, what order you have them in? What order I have them in. So that's a little bit different. Uh, so my big board. Um, right now, big it's board. Wes's big board. Yeah, I mean, it's my personal big board. It's nothing that's going to be posted on on fantasy points because you know we've got so many other guys that that rank and and that you know Scott Barrett and and Joe Dole. I mean, just guys that you just you definitely want to get their opinion as well. When it started out, you know, I was all about Chase. I still think he's he's wide receiver one. I love the guy. I know there's some questions about about him getting off the of press, uh, but those are those are issues. I think he can he can easily adjust to. Um, it just do some, he, he needs to add some upper body strength, but you know, here's the thing we're looking at his 2019 film and what's he been doing since, since that, when he opted out, he's been preparing for the draft. This guy's had a full year to work on his, his, uh, his, his, you know, athletic measurements. I think we're going to be a little surprised when we see him get off the press in the NFL, but here's the thing. We may have the best college tight end to ever play the game that I've ever seen. And I've been playing fantasy sports for 30 years. I'm going to stop you there, Wes, because you're being a bit of, bit of a politician here. You got to tell us who, where you have these guys relative to each other, because I'm oh. dying to know. I know the listeners are probably dying to know. You got to tell us where I, do these guys lie relative to each other? Kyle Pitts is the, is, is the, the number one guy in rookie drafts. And if you don't take him, you're going to regret it. Kyle Pitts out of Florida, the best college tight end and I, that I've ever seen. And who's next? Who's next? Jamar Chase. Uh, and he, then? Najee Harris. After him, yeah. Etienne. Keep going. Keep it going. Etienne, Waddle, okay. Devontae Smith, Trey Sermon, Javante Williams, Amon Ross St. Brown. Right now I have Rashad Bateman at number 10. Then I have Kadarius Toney, Tylen Wallace. And here's a guy that nobody is going to have this high. JV and Hawkins out of Louisville running back after him. I have Terrace Marshall, Elijah Moore, Michael Carter, Sage Surratt, Rondell Moore out of Purdue, Tamorian Terry, Florida state and Chuba Hubbard, Oklahoma state running back at number 20. Now I've okay. So this, this is a ranking that I I'm, I'm just, I'm torn between Chuba and Kenneth Gainwell and I've got Chuba here at number 20, but I may end up with Gainwell at number 20. I'm not entirely sure yet. I like those rankings. I like them a lot. Sorry. Now continue. You have Kyle Pitts, right? So Kyle Pitts at tight end slash receiver really is a physical specimen. Here's where I struggle is that we heard very similar comps 
to TJ Hawkinson, right? And, and when TJ Hawkinson came out, it, he was generational. He was a guy we've never seen before. He was a guy who was going to come in and place. He was going to split out wide. He was going to stay in and block if he needed to. He was going to run from the. He was going to run routes from the slot. T.J. Hawkinson was the next, the second coming of you know Tony Gonzalez. We heard all those things, Wes. Why are we hearing this again? What is the difference between Kyle Pitts and T.J. Hawkinson? Okay, because I'm still I'm still comfortable with that comparison. I still think T.J. Hawkinson is is the best tight end to come out of college football, the best inline tight end to come out of college football. But what sells the tickets these days and in, in, in the twenties? What what sells the tickets? And it's not the inline tight ends. It's not the guys that are that are actually going to do some pass protection that are that are going to you know get a lot of move in the run game. It's it's your jokers, your move tight ends. It's your Travis Kelseys. It's your Darren Wallers. It's the guys that are gonna give you a hundred receptions, and that's what you. That's that's so comparing T.J. Hawkinson to Tony Gonzalez, which I'm perfectly comfortable with continuing in that comp, is one thing. And you have another guy coming up that's that that could be the next Travis Kelsey. Although you know we're looking at a different size guy, but as far as like a skill for the position type guy, someone who could line up 50% of his snaps uh, out wide. That's what, that's what you get with, with Kyle Pitts. He's not a blocker. He's not. Okay. So he's going to have to run block. We need him on the field to run block in order to have him on the field in play action on RPOs, on those run pass options. We don't want him leaving the field for those. Otherwise he's not the, the, the top player in rookie drafts. But here's the thing. He's perfectly he he's shown that that he'll get in the face of, of defenders, a lot bigger defenders, defensive ends, edges, and 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 he puts in the work. And that, you know, you know what? That's half of the that's half of the job. Some guys, some of the tight ends that have flopped in the NFL, they they wouldn't do it. They they would get they would put their hands on the guys, but they just wouldn't get into their faces. They wouldn't they wouldn't you know put put everything into it. And you could see it. You could, and and that's why they're sitting at home and you know likely analyzing games like us. They they just you know they didn't have that that passion. And then that, that's something Kyle Pitts has, and that that's what you need as a rookie. So I think he can. I think it'll translate eventually. Um, if he gets into a situation where his coach won't let him develop on the field, his his run blocking, yeah, probably would go chase. So you know we we kind of need to see where he's going to land, but. If we're looking at guys who could change the game of football or, you know, become another Travis Kelsey type player, I mean, this guy, in my opinion, could end up being the second or third pick in the draft. That's how good he is. Woo. So, okay, let's talk about one more tight end. Who do you have? Pat Freermuth. I don't know how to say his last name. Friermuth. How is that? Friermuth. Friermuth. Okay. Hunter Long, Brevin Jordan. If you had to pick one guy long term, who is it and why? Well, I think it's Fryermuth. Um, you know, because if if you're gonna, he he's he's the better blocker of the three. Um, my I do have some issues with Jordan. I think Jordan is, is a guy that's going to uh, just take a few years to develop. And and he'll he in, in the interviews I watched that he did, um, he even admitted to that he'd love to go to. You know, he's he's a Las Vegas guy, Las Vegas kid. So he he'd love to go to 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 the Raiders and develop behind uh, Darren Waller. Um, but uh, Fryermuth, he's he's the full package. I mean, he's a, he's another inline guy. He's not. He's he's more in the mold of uh, 
of Hawkinson. So um, I think I think a, an NFL team is going to fall in love with him. And I also think he's got that twitchiness that we see from Kyle Pitts. After Fryermuth and Pitts, you don't see that twitchiness. But man, don't you watch? Don't don't you uh, sleep on Hunter Long? This boy can play. He's got the he's got the most complete route package in this class at tight end. A big um, package, Wes. There's and, nothing and, I love more than a big package. Well, the one other thing I'll add about Hunter Long. Some people say, "Oh, but you know, he he looks he plays slow." You know, he's got a verified four five eight. <laughs> I mean, just ridiculous at his size. Two hundred. Got a fast big package. Two hundred fifty four pounds. He may be faster than Kyle Pitts. Oh my God, that's insane! That's incredible! That's incredible! So you're you're saying you're saying that it would be him then, the next guy that would be him, the next in line for the tight end throne. It would be Fryermuth, but. I have Hunter Long as my tight end three, and it's not as far as you might think. It's just that twitchiness. He doesn't have that twitching, that that athletic twitchiness that that uh, Fryermuth has. Fryermuth is a he's an athletic guy as far as like agility, footwork, uh, change of direction. He's got that. Uh, and but but I, I mean seriously, I'm 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 picking up Hunter Long everywhere. I mean because you can wait till the end of your drafts. Nobody knows about this kid, and you watch. You watch it. Watch him go to a, a team like Tennessee, the Titans. Now that Johnny Smith is gone, watch him pick up Hunter Long. Because here's the thing: Tennessee lives off of play action. This guy was ridiculous with play action. Uh, I have the numbers right here. Let's see: thirty percent of routes, forty-eight percent of yards, sixty-seven percent of touchdowns, three point four eight yards per route run with play action. This kid was second to none. On play action, watch him land with somebody like Tennessee, and this kid's gonna be—he's gonna be a, a fantasy factor a lot, a lot quicker than anybody thinks. And most people probably don't think he will—he will ever be. Wow, incredible, incredible stuff on that. So, okay, instead of dissecting the nuance between Fields and Lawrence, or you know, talking about the what long term versus who's the most ready, I really want to get your feel on Mac Jones. Um, yeah. Just your your overall general. 10,000 foot view on Mac Jones, because looking at the guy, Wes, when that picture with him in the cigar that, that I don't know if you've seen it making the, the rounds on the Twitter sphere. Um, he doesn't look like, we'll say, uh, he doesn't look like a division one athlete. And there's another video that was posted of him that also of him working out, didn't look like a division one athlete. Not that you have to, you know, be super explosive athletic at the quarterback position. Plenty of people have, plenty of players have, have overcome that. Um, but is, is there something I'm missing on Mac Jones? Obviously his teammates are saying, who do you prefer Mac Jones or two? Of course you're going to say Mac Jones. I think there's a lot of narrative that goes into this. I think there's a lot of maybe unconscious bias when it comes to Mac Jones, but change my mind. What do you think of Mac Jones? Well, the thing, the thing that you're going to see in the draft and you can mark my words here, you're going to see Mac Jones drafted fifth and it's not because he doesn't have the arm. It's not because he doesn't have the accuracy. It's not because he doesn't have the the pocket the pocket presence. Um, it's it's because he's not athletic. And it's like you just said, uh, like he had a near five point a four point nine one forty time pre college. Of course, we don't have his his pro day stuff, but so we'll have an opportunity to see how he's developed athletically. But I, he's not that type of player. He's a pocket he's a pocket passer. But what he did when he was at Alabama was 70% completion percentage against cover one or cover three with the middle of the field closed. So he knows how to attack the sidelines. 75% 
um, with cover two, cover four, cover six with the middle of the field open so he knows how to attack the middle of the field. These are general um, stats that I'm throwing at you, but the point is, is, is he has he has the ability to attack all, all three levels. The big question, though, will be how does he adjust to the NFL pass rush? He, as a pocket passer, he will need to be on his game. We're talking Ben Roethlisberger type level of of blitz uh, recognition. If he's unable to set up his blocking to properly block for the blitz, he's going to have serious problems. So, but you know, with with Lawrence Fields, Wilson, Lance, they have they have the athleticism. If they make those mistakes mistakes in blitz recognition, they have the athleticism to get away to move outside the pocket. You're not going to see that from Mac Jones, but that doesn't mean he's not going to be a first round quarterback. Trust me, there are a lot of systems in the NFL that that aren't looking for athletic quarterbacks. They're, you know, they have other positions that they they just want to get the ball to them in space. They're not um, they're not looking for to to use heavy RPOs. So it'll be a landing spot dependent type situation with Mac Jones. Um, but at the same time, uh, it, the the drop off after him is, you know, I mean, I wouldn't say it's it's a couple of rounds. I think I think we could see Kellen Mond, who's who's my QB six. I think we could see him go. Uh, late second round, maybe you know, top of the third. He's another athletic guy that 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 the NFL is looking for. Plus, he's you know he's he's a poor man's um, Dak Prescott, I guess I would refer to him as. Ooh, poor man's Dak Prescott. You know what? I would take a poor man's Dak Dak Prescott at this point, to be honest, because that's a pretty good comp, even if even if you're being uh, even if it's even if it's a great value version, right? Yeah. Now, Wes, you've given us fantastic insight. I'm going to ask you one more time for the listeners: Can you please? Uh, for your skill positions, non-quarterback, run down your list one more time of what I think it was about your top 15, top top 20 real quick, just sure. in order. Sure. And, you know, here, the thing is, I do have my quarterbacks on the list. They're just not at the top. Obviously. Right, right, right. For obviously, Sands uh, super flex formats. Mm-hmm. But, of course, of course. So it's going to start with Kyle Pitts. I'm, you know, I moved him ahead of Chase, but I love Jamar Chase. His his late separation is is second to none, including Pitts on uh, his late route separations, just his explosion, just it, obviously first round top, top 10 type talent. Uh, then I have Najee Harris, you know, he's got, he and he and Etienne are, they, they could go in the first round, but I, you know, even top of the second, you know, there's that new thing going around where running backs aren't valuable. I don't agree with that. It makes me sick. When I worked at PFF, it was the one thing that, that I couldn't have disagreed more with. Um, you know, there's a difference between a running back and a running back, a, a good running back and a good running back that also catches the ball, pass protects that you just, you can't, you can't put those into, into numbers. That's, that's all I'm going to say. Um, then after him, I have the receivers uh, out of Alabama, Jalen Waddle, Devonte Smith. I've got Waddle ahead of Smith right now. Um, you know, I think Smith is going to be a, a slot guy. I still like him. You know, I just I'm not a, I'm not as high on him as I am Waddle. Then I have um, you know the guy that's probably going to surprise the most, Trey Sermon, uh, as my RB three. Then Javante Williams RB four. I like those guys about the same. Um, Trey Sermon. The only reason I have Sermon ahead of Williams is his pass protection, best blocking back in the class. And then I've got my wide receivers. I'm on Ross St. Brown, Rashad Bateman, which I, I, I've yet to look into him in depth. But I do like him a lot. Played for Minnesota, so I saw a lot of his games. 
uh, Kadarius Tony. And, you know, I'd love to see Kadarius Tony go to go to the Vikings and work with uh, Kirk Cousins and his his man coverage dominance because Tony was unguardable for in man coverage last year. Uh, then I have Tylen Wallace, the best blocking wide receiver in the class. He's going to go to somebody and he's going to start on day one. I don't care if it's in the slot or out wide. His blocking, you can't take it off the field. Then I have Javon, uh, JV and Hawkins out of Louisville, small guy, but you watch. He's going to test out 100th percentile at his pro day. You watch. I don't care. Now, there is some questions about his size. Some say that he's 185 pounds. Other venues have him as 196. If he, if he weighs out at around 196 with his athletic uh, profile, if he packs on 10 more pounds, he could be a three-down back. You watch. So that's why I have him so high. Um, then we have Terrace Marshall Jr. out of LSU, Elijah Moore, and then Michael Carter, Javante Williams, uh, uh, running mate, and Sage Sage Sherrod. Did you say top 15 or top 20? Not up to you. Keep going. All right. Keep then, going. I'm not going to stop you. Yeah. Then Rondell Moore. You know, Rondell Moore, he's he's another guy. He's like Hawkins. He's got a, a, a 90, 99th, 98th uh, percentile athleticism, but I'm just worried about his uh, his soft tissue injuries. Now, okay, now I'm not saying he's injury prone because I fully – I fully am against that. But what I am saying is he doesn't play when he has soft tissue injuries. He has a tendency to sit a few games. And that's not something we like to see. I'm, I'd like to see my guys play through those types. Now, I'm not talking about the Trey Sermon type injuries. guy who, <laughs> who plays two games with a fractured vertebrae uh, went back on the field when he separated his shoulder against Alabama. Not that type of stuff. But when a guy's got, you know, a, a, a deep, bruise or something i want to see him on the field um and then i've got tamori and terry uh, i've yet to gone over his tape i did like him a lot from what i saw uh, bigger guy uh, and then chuba hubbard kenneth gainwell at my at number 20 one of those two guys is going to be right there as my rb7 or rb8 now wes you're a guy who just loves the game of football i can tell just by hearing it in your voice you get excited watching and even you get excited you probably get up for the, you know, 2 a.m. Hawaii, you know, northern uh, Vermont state game, bowl game at, you know, in the middle of December, right? You probably get up for that game. You probably stay up late. You're probably jazzed to watch those cover two, you know, those division three games. You get excited about it. You've been too positive. Give me one, one of these guys, any of these guys, or any guy in general that you have, that you just don't like. A guy that you've watched him, you've analyzed him, you just don't like him. Give me one. Don't like him. Probably going to have to dip down a little bit further because he's, he's going to fall outside my top 20. Um, do you mean is – okay, so I'll just – I'll you take that. You can interpret that. that question however you want. However I want. So, you know, and <laughs> this is going completely against what you said. I'm hurt that Marlon Williams, the USC wide receiver, wasn't extended an official invite to the NFL combine if they had, if they'd have had it, this guy was unbelievable. And so I'm, I'm still hurt about that. So I do want to throw that out there. Um, <laughs> probably the guy that I'm not as high on is a lot of other people, but I, I mean, I still like him. I'm just not, I'm nowhere near as high is definitely game. Well, okay. um, uh -huh. so I've heard some people have him as their RB four. Um, 
I think Scott, he's, he's like, he's at the, he does different stages of his, of his dynasty rankings right now. He's just at the analytic stage. He's not looking at the athletic stage of where his rankings are. And he's got him, I think is his RB four uh, because his numbers are really, really good, you know, but 90% of his production came against um, a group of five or FCS competition. And the thing about that is like in Devi, I never, I don't even look at those guys because the odds of them making it in the NFL are so low that it's, you're just wasting a draft pick. Um, but, you know, you, you, you will see guys like Kareem Hunt that will come from these group of five schools. And I'm not saying they don't have value. I'm just saying it's, it's depressed in my view. So I, I, but that's not it. He's also, he doesn't have very good patience. So he's going to be limited to a zone blocking scheme. He's not somebody that you're going to, you're going to, that's going to go to somebody like Pittsburgh and play for their, their gap scheme. He's going to be limited on where he can go because he doesn't, he, he doesn't wait for the blocking to set up in front of him. As soon as he gets the ball, he takes off full speed. Now that's great when you're playing against group of five competition. That's not great in the NFL when you're running into the back of your blockers. Right. So I would like to see him slow his game down a little bit because we saw him. I, I didn't get his official 40 time, but I think his unofficial was like four, five, two, something like that. I don't know. But, uh, you know, which is which is a lot faster than the, the 4.7 he measured at pre-college. Cool. He was a yeah, he was. A, well, he was a former quarterback. You know, what's really odd is that it's the exact same, almost the exact same athletic measurements of Kadarius Tony um, coming out of, of Blunt High School. He was a quarterback as well and they both made the transition to running back they both had like 38 plus inch verticals but like 4.4 short shuttles and 4.7 40 times so really slow on the on the um the speeds but i think that they've they've sped up their game tony he did get tracked down by some slower guys even this past year um and that does have me a little concerned we may not see him run uh you know he's not going to be a 4-3 guy I can tell you that but that's okay because at slot receiver he's going to have some openings but yeah I think him and then another guy who I'm not as high on is Amari Rogers out of Clemson I think he's I, th- I have him a lot lower probably I will have him a lot lower probably than a, a lot of other people um and then I've, I've heard also heard some people say that because of his pro day and he, you know, showed off a cannon. Trey Lance, people have been talking about him moving up to number two in the QB ranks. I'm sorry. I'm going to take the body of work, not, uh, you know, uh, 20 minutes uh, passing performance with no, you know, defense over a guy. I'm going to take the guy that's shown me stuff on the field. Now, Trey Lance is, I think, he's a top 10 guy. But I think, I think the guy that's being just, criminally overlooked and and discounted is Justin Fields. Mm-hmm. Um, his note, okay, so he made a couple of bad throws his senior year. He did. And, and it made me sick. I I you know I'm in the I was in the Discord chat at Fantasy Point saying, what is this guy doing? This is not just I didn't see him do it in high school. I had watched all of his footage and I'd never seen him do this. I th- he was pressing a little bit because the running game it, he, when Master Teague was was leading the way, I, which is it calls into question some some of Master Teague's future value. I just didn't the offense wasn't clicking, um, and, and, and against Northwestern before Troy Sermon took the field and Teague got hurt, the offense didn't look good. It looked bad. 
Um, but man, when Justin Fields got had a little bit of a running game, a lot of running game behind him with Sermon, tell me that he did not look like a top a QB two, QB three when he had Sermon against Clemson. I mean, we're talking just a outrageously good performance. And I'm a little behind on Zach Wilson. I've mm-hmm. not I've not watched a lot of his film. I did see a couple of his games. I was impressed, and I do have him as my QB3, but I, I haven't watched enough to say, oh, I'm this high or this low on him. Wes, you have been incredible. I think this is going to be a fantastic listen for anybody who's big football, big football people in general, not just fantasy related. So I appreciate you coming on this Fantasy Points Fiesta that, that we have. Remind us where people can find you on Twitter and where they can find your work. Well, you can find me at fantasypoints.com. I'm working on my dynasty profiles. I'll also be doing a, a pod or a live stream with Scott Barrett this week, probably middle of the week. Um, pretty sure it'll just be for fantasy point subscribers. If you don't have a subscription, I can guarantee you whatever you pay for a premium. I don't know what the current rate is. You will make it back during the year. We will make it back oh, 1, for you. 1,000%. Uh, just the guys that we have. Yeah. We will make you your money back. If you play DFS or even if you play season long, we will get you, we will get you your titles. We will get you that money. But uh, yeah, so I'll be on there with Scott. And then if you want to find me on Twitter, it's Wes Huber NFL, no underscore, just Wes Huber NFL, one word. And um, you know, DM me anytime. I'm, I'm happy to to answer questions and um, I'll make the time for you. Thank you once again, Wes. This is going to be a treat to listen to. Thanks again for coming on. Hey, my pleasure. Anytime, Edwin. Seriously, anytime you want to have me on, I'm, I'm always love, I always love to talk about football. The only thing I would add, I don't stay up till 2 a.m. I'm a wake up. <laughs> you, you are an early, you're, you're an early riser. Early I get riser, up at early 5 a.m. I jump out of bed. I seriously do. And that's, that's why I love what I do. I jump out of bed so I can look at the next prospect, so I can watch the next game, Phil. I'm, I'm blessed to be, to do what I do. And that's what I say to anybody out there. You know, I'm 43 and I've, I've worked at a lot of jobs and, and, and followed a lot of career paths that, that I didn't want to do. And I, I, I just, I would walk away and it, and it, it would, you know, it, it add a lot of questions in my mind, but what, whatever your dream is, don't give up on it. Always work towards that dream because you can do the things that you want to do for a living. may not make you, you know, a million dollars, but it, it's worth it to do something that you love. And that, that's what I'm blessed to do. Amazing words of wisdom. Thank you, Wes. Yeah. Anytime, buddy.